Hello and welcome to Accommodation Matters, where we discuss important and topical issues in student accommodation. I'm your host, Jenny Shaw, and today I've got a special bonus episode for you. In our last episode, we focused on the future of environmental sustainability and played a short interview with Nick Pigula, our sustainability construction manager. Well, today I've got the full interview for you. We are going to be back in November with a brand new episode and it's shaping up to be a really exciting one. So please do look out for that. Until then, enjoy this deep dive into sustainable construction with Nick. So I'm here in the studio with Nick. Hi there. So what does it mean to be a sustainability construction manager? What is it that you do? So I work in the development team for Unite Students. So we build all of our new PBSA uh, and also now our build to rent products. And so within the team, I, in effect, look after or develop our approach to sustainability on our our buildings. And so that means looking at uh, a range of different environmental and and social impacts associated with our, our construction projects. So before we dive into that and what that means, what's your background? How did you get into this kind of work? So I've worked in sustainability now for about 13 years in various uh, sectors. So so originally started in um, a local authority working as a climate change project officer. And then from that, I moved into architecture as a sustainability consultant and then, then joined Unite to go client side about a year and a half ago. Can you break it down for me, sustainable construction? What what does it mean and what kind of impact are you looking for at the end of the day? What's achievable? So probably the best way really to describe what sustainable construction is, is um, we often talk about sustainability as, as having three pillars. So environmental, social and, and economic sustainability. I think traditionally everyone's, I think, aware of carbon emissions and that's still probably the big driver in the built environment in regards to sustainability and so that that's about driving down the carbon emissions associated with the energy consumption within our buildings but also now there's a big emphasis on the carbon associated with the with the materials and the construction process itself which we refer to as embodied carbon as well as carbon there's sort of a, a big focus on biodiversity so kind of the ecological impact as well as the the impact on climate change, but also benefits to people and and the occupants of buildings as well and their connection with nature. I guess sort of building on from that, the social part of sustainability is really about how our buildings provide a good environment for those occupants within it. So providing good air quality, you know, a sense of well-being, things like acoustics and lighting can all have an impact physically and mentally as well as that that kind of consideration about the impacts of the buildings themselves and directly onto the people. We think about sustainability across the life cycle of the building. So that really starts from the kind of the mining of, of the raw materials and, and the impact on the environment and the people involved with that process through to the construction of the building. And then increasingly the end of life impacts of the building so what happens to that building and how do we sort of preserve the resources and reduce the impact of of the demolition so it's a huge holistic piece really isn't it that you're looking at right from the start right through the supply chain uh, and right through to the end of the building's life 
In terms of the actual development of buildings, because I, I know there's been a lot of focus on this, what is possible at the moment in terms of reducing that embodied carbon? And what are some of the innovations that are going to take us further down that road? So this is an area where I think, um, certainly in, in terms of PBSA, purpose-built student accommodation, the first thing to do when thinking about embodied carbon and reducing the impacts is make sure you can measure it properly. And that's actually a real challenge. And so we've spent probably the last yeah, year or so really refining that process as to the tools that we use and the methodologies that we use and, and the data that we collect in order to make sure that we fully understand the embodied carbon impact of our buildings. What we found during that process is that that it's useful to look at where the greatest embodied carbon is within the building. And so generally speaking, around 60% of the embodied carbon is located within the structure of the building. So that's the foundations and the frame, the columns and the floors, etc. And that's generally within our buildings is, is generally concrete and steel. Not only are they found in large quantities within the building they're also quite carbon intensive so for every kilogram of material you have a kilogram of carbon emitted within the the manufacture and assembly of that product and for those materials that's quite high and and so what we've done is in the first instance we've targeted that and so we now use uh, cement replacement so concrete is is basically made up of cement sand water and aggregate and it's a cement element that's highly carbon intensive. And so we've been replacing the cement content, well, up to about 40% of it at the moment, with something called GGBS, which is um, ground granulated blast slag, a byproduct of the steel industry. And so in effect, we're taking a, a waste product and we're using that to massively reduce the carbon impact of our buildings. Also something that we've been doing, and, and actually it's probably a happy coincidence, we actually selected a facade product in the last few years based on the program and, and, and cost savings that were associated with that product. It still gave us a high quality facade we wanted, but it could be installed at a faster rate than a traditional brick facade. But actually we found out that that's got huge carbon savings. And part of my role is is to look at uh, the net zero carbon constructions out there on the market and the feasibility of those constructions. And actually, by chance, we've really come across one of the lowest carbon options available to us. Are there any good examples of uh, net zero carbon construction buildings? There are. I, I would say student accommodation is possibly slightly further behind than some other sectors. I mean, there, there are some good examples of, of, of student accommodation that's been developed recently. I know in, in Leeds, Newcastle and, and Bristol, there's been some passive house student accommodation that's been developed. Passive house, for those who don't know, is, is a very low energy approach to design and construction. Associated with that, you, you have low um, operational carbon emissions. Unite students, actually, we, we haven't achieved a passive house development yet, partly because our developments are, are quite large and, and it's a lot more feasible at the moment to do that on kind of smaller scale developments. But we, we have been adopting the principles and, and, and we're quite close to passive house levels of performance. So our recent development and our current pipeline of developments are sort of industry leading in terms of their operational energy performance. One of, I think, the challenges that we've, we've found is achieving very low embodied carbon within our developments. 
And part of that is down to things like building regulations and insurance. So it's quite difficult to use timber, which is a very low carbon construction material. And so we see a lot of um, lots of commercial offices that are actually university buildings where they've incorporated timber. A really good example is the Enterprise Centre in the University of East Anglia, if anyone's interested. That's, that's probably the most sustainable building I can think of. So what are the barriers to doing something like that in accommodation? So the challenge really is, is around building regulations in, in terms of the use of timber on facades. So once you exceed a certain height, you're unable to use timber as it's um, potentially combustible. Um, you know, insurance is a big issue. That's quite a big blocker. So, you know, potentially there's opportunities to use, uh, I mentioned it, CLT, which is cross-laminated timber, which is a very efficient form of timber construction, which is incredibly low carbon. But there are issues, um, insurance companies are, can be quite reluctant or historically have been very reluctant to insure buildings constructed of that. People think it's because of fire, but actually, I, I believe it's um, down to leakage. So you mentioned ecological impact. So are there any good examples, either in Unite's buildings or elsewhere, of a really sort of positive approach to biodiversity within PBSA? Our latest development at uh, Morris House in Nottingham, which which has just opened this year, is probably a great example, actually, of how We've basically taken a brownfield site and completely redeveloped it into, I think it's 706 bedroom accommodation just next to the Jubilee campus. And um, we've created some really good green space, not only for students to use, but also there's some great planting selections that maximize biodiversity opportunities. But also it's kind of created this green corridor connecting the Jubilee campus with our uh, student accommodation so the students can kind of walk through nice landscaped uh, green space on the way to their, their lectures in the morning and back. That's lovely. Paint me a picture, Nick. What does it look like? Is it like a, be- a beautiful meadow or something like that? I mean, it's looking, it's looking very nice at the moment, um, but uh, yeah, I'm sure as the planting matures, it will look yeah even nicer in a few years' time. What kind of flora have you got in there? Is it sort of native species wildflowers or is it more a sort of a garden landscape sort of thing so so it's a bit of a mixture we've incorporated some green roofs and then um we've sort of got some landscapes gardens and and then the sort of native shrubbery just to to finish us off what does the future hold you said it's it's still quite difficult to get to net zero in terms of the development the embodied carbon but how is that going to change in the future what's coming over the horizon that'll help us do that so I think we are transitioning quite well to net zero carbon. We're following the REBA 2030 climate challenge. So in effect, we want to be net zero by 2030, which means hitting their embodied carbon and operational targets. We're actually on track with our embodied carbon at the moment. We're, we're actually pushing an aggregated target of around 27, 28 at the moment for our projects. So we are, we are slightly ahead of, of schedule. However, there is a big step change required to to push beyond that. So there's going to be a real drive to look at bio-based products. So where we can push for the use of things like CLT, but actually primarily the first instance. And again, this is sort of visible on one of our developments, Bromley Place in Nottingham, where we're, we're using sort of adaptive reuse of an existing building. And so 
we're able to basically make huge carbon saves through the reuse of, of existing buildings and prioritizing refurbishment over demolition, which carries challenges, but actually can also carry some sort of big rewards in terms of carbon savings. And so I, I, you know, I think something the industry is, is really driving now is, is this principle of the circular economy and, and resource preservation. And so as we do decarbonize the grid, you know, as, as we improve the efficiency of our buildings, they will inherently become much lower carbon. And I think the switch probably in the next few years will be slightly from carbon to, I think, resource preservation. And that's a whole other conversation, I think. Yes, it is, yes. <laughs> Maybe we'll reconvene on that next year. Great. Thank you very much for speaking to me today, Nick. Uh, thank you very much.